Okay, so I'm going to sing that song when I get to heaven. Amen. Um, if we can have our young people go off to Children's Church, Miss Kelsey's teaching for you this morning. We'll pray for Emily today, too. She woke up this morning at like 3 in the morning and had a fever and all that fun stuff. So Anne's at home with her. So just be praying for her today. She did not feel well. Um, as we're getting kind of uh, buckled in here today, I wanted to talk today. It's going to be kind of a different service. Um, great prayers of great men. And, uh, you know, I, I've never really done a message, per se, on the prayers in the Bible. I mean, we could spend a whole year at church doing that. And it was amazing as I started looking at the great men of faith and these fathers of the faith that uh, what they prayed. And you know one thing I noticed is that these prayers weren't starchy, bleached prayers. And uh, they were prayers that were from their heart. They were prayers of dealing with their struggles. There were prayers that were questioning God. There were prayers of saying, God, where are you? There was prayers of repentance. There was prayers of just frustration. Um, how many of you know you like to hear good, healthy prayers in our, our life to say, you know what, I want to pray for my heart. Amen? Um, if you want to real quick, um, here's what we're doing. Uh, Joe, you're starting out of the gate today. You didn't know that, did you? You get ready. So uh, do you have your Bible by chance with you? If you don't, I've got mine. So use mine, okay? So I'm gonna, I'll turn to that portion of Scripture. Here's what we're doing. I have five prayers that we're going to have men come up and pray. I, I could do more. Uh, I want to have it to where all the guys come up here. I apologize. I've got five different uh, dads that are going to come up here today, and they're going to share that portion of Scripture of that prayer. So it'd be kind of fun, won't it? So um, great prayers of great men. Why don't we open with prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for today. And Jesus, I thank you that you're right now interceding on behalf of us, that you are constantly praying and you're constantly attentive. And Lord, you are working on our behalf and that you never sleep and that you never slumber. Uh, Lord, that you are attentive to the prayers of your people. And Lord, I just thank you that everyone in here has a voice and we have a heart. And God, we can seek you. The Bible says, Lord, for us to pray without ceasing. And Lord, help us today, Lord, to become people that are prayers. Lord, if we can be marked by one thing in this church is that this is a praying church and this is a praying people and praying people with passion. Lord, help us all today. I pray for all the fathers today. Lord, I just pray that you would help them, Lord, as they're becoming more and more like you, God. May when they look at the mirror, may they not look at themselves or what they think they should be to this world, but God, when they reflect in the mirror, God, may your face be reflective on them as they, as we become more and more like Jesus. God, we thank you for today, for giving this time together to break open your word, to be refreshed and restored in you, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, talks about may men everywhere. In fact, why don't, we, uh, why don't we all declare this together? Are you ready? Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Isn't that crazy? He said, I want to have men everywhere lift up holy hands and pray. I think that is a very powerful thing. You know, we all hear the stories about how grandma prayed for the kids. How many had praying grandmas in your life? That was good. But let me tell you something that's just as powerful in this world, and, and, and it all starts in the homes, is with the men to pray. Amen. Man, to have men get on their knees and pray for their family and seek the Lord. Guys, that is not the work for grandmas. That's the work of the men of the house. Didn't get an amen. I can't get an outer amen. <laughs> I'm glad they do it. We need intercessors, and I believe God has gifted intercessors. But by golly, it's not about gifting. It's about you earnestly seeking after the Lord and praying and seeking Him. I think it's powerful. I'm going to start with this. The learn to struggle. Men, how many of you have struggled in your life before? <laughs> I think the idea of wrestling, turn real quick to Genesis chapter 32. This is one of those two-hour messages, but it's not, I promise. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 29. We see the story of Jacob. He was a liar. And a deceiver. He had problems. He had deceived his brother, and Esau wanted to kill the guy. I mean, you know, that's a good problem, not bad, good problem to have. 
So he was running for his life and he was coming back to kind of, he was dealing with the guilt and condemnation and Jacob was running all over. And you know what I see in this fatherless generation? Because that's what we deal with. Folks, I want to tell you, we don't need more funding here. We don't need more funding there. We don't need better laws here and better laws there. Do you know what we need? We need men to be fathers. And we need men to take responsibility and to lead. That's what we need in this generation. We don't need men being like women. I don't want my son Hunter to become like my wife Anne. I want him to be like me. My wife can't raise Hunter to be a man. Do you know that? Yeah. In this generalist society, men raise boys to be men. Amen. And I think that in life today, there is this idea that being a man, that that's a bad thing. And this macho kind of thing, and it's not a macho thing, but it is a thing where, you know what? You know what I love about my dad is my dad smells like Old Spice today. He's not effeminate. He's a man. And I don't apologize for that. And fellas, don't apologize because you might toot on the couch every once in a while. No, I'm <laughs> But I think of boys. Do you know with boys, you get two boys around. In my house, it was like this. When me and my brother around, we would wrestle all the time. Multiple boys, you'd get them in a room with each other, and boys just naturally start to fight, and they start to wrestle. My parents bought me, we were even talking about this a few weeks ago, my mom and dad bought this beautiful bunk bed set, oak, beautiful. And we had it for a matter of months, maybe, right, Mom? And me and my brother had completely destroyed the bunk beds because we were wrestling. And I remember one time, we just, it just got to the breaking point. And in and, and our home, it was one of those things where if it got to the breaking point too bad, and we were listening to my mom, my mom goes, wait till your dad comes home. <laughs> and then we knew. And then we would debate on who would get the spanking first, me or Ted. That was just how it would work. You're going first. Ted's like, I'm getting mine out of the way. So it wasn't all the time. It was just that. My dad's a loving father. My dad's like, thanks, Steve, for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. No. Those are just little moments. But we wrestle. And I think men wrestle. And I think what men wrestle with is their very identity in Christ. And I think we wrestle with our sins and the sins of the past and the guilt. And, and this is everyone, but I think for men it's hard finding our identity in Christ in this very broken, disillusioned world that we live in and how a society tells you what you're supposed to be and how you're to be. The Bible declares very specifically the role of the man. And God created a man and he created a woman. He, he created, he's the very identity of the father. So it's a very beautiful example. We see Jacob now. He wrestles with God. And I think for Jacob, he was a, as a liar and deceiver, he stole his brother's birthright. He's living in fear. He's trying to figure out how he can reconcile to Esau without Esau literally killing him. Andy Stanley writes this, and right now, men, if you're struggling with things and guilt and condemnation and your heart's going different places, he says, if your heart continues to go unmonitored, whatever thing is growing in there will worsen to the point that she'll no longer be able to contain it with carefully managed words and behavior. Kind of like living life looking over your back or looking over your shoulder. And many of us in our life, we're, we're, we're walking through life not free in Christ. We're managing our behaviors. We're modifying things. We're neatly organizing sins in our life, trying to manage life as opposed to being free in Christ. And there is a struggle that each of us must go through as men. And that we have to give back to God those things in our life that we tried to manage the chaos. How many of you tried to manage sin in your life and you really weren't that good of a sin manager in your past? We just try to manage sin. Andy Stanley goes on to write, After a while we come to accept these disruptors as part of our life and part of our personality. And so we catch ourselves saying things like this. Well, that's just the way that I am. You have to raise your hands, but how many have said that about yourself? Yeah. You kind of go through life and you're dealing with those struggles and those temptations, those fears, and you finally just succumb to the pressure of it and you just agree with it and you say, well, that's just who I am. 
Well, I want to tell you today, that is not who you are. You are a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, Lord of the Most High. That's your identity. You're a man of God. And here's what you're going to have to learn to do again. Fight. And to stand up for the things in your life that are opposing to God and as opposed to constantly managing disasters and looking over your shoulder for that person and this thing and that thing, you stand up and fight against that thing in your life. That's just who I am. It's not who you are. And you've been sold a bunch of lies if you say to yourself all the time, that's just who I am. No, those are character issues and those are flaws and those are things we have to go after and say, you know what, I'm rising up because I want to become more like my Abba Father, Jesus Christ, grabbing hold of God. Now, Joe, this is where you come in. Joe's going to take over the rest of the service for us today. All right, so you come on up here. There we go. Give it up for Joe. Man of God. All right, so do you have an earphone? Or do you want to read it on your phone or do you want to read it from here? Which do you prefer? Okay, Genesis 32, 22. Through 29. So you start it right. I know, right? 22 and then end right there. And if you want to read it there, you can. Jacob wrestles with God. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants' wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, Let me go. For the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will, let, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob declared something, a prayer in his prayer. He said, I will not let go until you bless me. And I think what happens with us is we kind of give up too easy. We give up on life and circumstances get thrown at us and a curveball here and we, we fall there. Whatever it would be, whatever the excuse is, we just simply give up too early. And I don't know if it's in business you've given up. I don't know if it's in your family life, in your marriage, in your finances. And you just simply succumb to where just this is just who I am. This is just where I'm going to be the rest of my life. And Jacob in that moment wrestled with God. And it wasn't him trying to twist God's arm to bless him. It was a matter of earnestness. It was a matter of Jacob going after it. It was a matter of Jacob not letting go. And I'm telling you, for us to be white on hot on fire for Christ, it's going to require that we go all in and we grab hold of who God is. Colossians 4.12. I love what this verse of scripture says. Paul was talking about Epaphras. And he was sitting under the teaching of Paul, and he was leading this church, they say, in historical documents, more than likely, that he was the leader of the church, and they were meeting at Philemon's house, this house church. And Epaphrius said this, or Paul said this about Epaphrius. He said, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ Jesus, send you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect. Fully confident that you are following the whole will of God, I can assure you that He prays for you hard. That's what Paul said about Epaphras. Now, it's really neat because when I was growing up, I had two praying parents. I had parents who loved the Lord with all of their heart. I had a dad who literally just rehearsed in us over and over again the armor of God in Ephesians, where he completely talked about wearing the armor of God in our life. 
I think of stories like men, great men in here, like Denvis, who literally all the time tells me, Steve, I pray for you every morning. I pray for your family, and I pray for your business. And you know what? It's not one of those things like, hey, we'll pray for you, and then just kind of forget and go back to your little shop. I know that Denvis Shell is praying his pants off for me. And Denvis is going to beat me up for saying this, because that's not who Denvis is. But these are the kind of people like the Epaphrasis, where I know without a shadow of a doubt that people, praying men of faith, are praying, and they're praying hard for people. So what does it mean to pray hard for people? Well, actually, act like you mean it. I think the Bible teaches us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Folks, I'm glad you prayed for your pasta at 5 o'clock the other night, but your pasta doesn't need those prayers. People need prayers. And do you know if we strip the Bible away, if the government were to say, no one can have a Bible in the United States of America, do you know what they can't strip away from you? Your prayers. Today, if you don't know, and this is no slight, but if you are not a good reader, do you know what you still have? The Holy Spirit living within you. To pray in you. Do you know you can take everything from you? If you take prayer out of your life, you have nothing. You can take the Word of God and strip it from you. And if you never saw this again, you still have the Holy Spirit in you. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man of the Where's my tips book? Where's this? No, you have prayer. You can pray for things. Me and Hunter were talking the other day, and you know, I have a really burden for my, the owner of this barber shop, and we were talking, I'm like, man, this guy, Tony, I love Tony. He owns this barber shop, but I, without really knowing, I don't really think he knows the Lord, and you know when I'm sitting there, and he's over in that corner there, I'm getting my hair cut by this other dude, and by the way, it's cool to go to a man barber shop. Yeah. Forgive me, Dad, for not knowing this till later on in life. <laughs> Get that straight razor on there and spraying the whatever things they spray on your neck to make you just smell like an old-fashioned grandpa. It's so awesome. <laughs> but I'm sitting over there, and without even him knowing it, do you know I am praying for Tony? I have a heart for Tony. I think us men, we kind of look, well, how do, how do, I don't have that kind of earnestness in my life. Do you know how you're going how, how to learn how to pray? start praying. Well, I don't know how to pray. Would you talk to your wife? Because when I look at the prayers in these Bibles, these these are not scripted things. They didn't have a prayer book back then. They didn't have a a promises book. They they were saying, I I, I was reading Abraham. I'm not going to talk about him today, but Abraham was like, Lord, you you said I'm going to have these great things, but I don't even have a son yet. I can't even have a boy. I have Eliezer. Who's going to take all my wealth and my family? I don't have this. You're promising me this, but God, I can't even have a son. I think we need to get our earnestness back. Men, church, America. I think we need to pray maybe like we're dying men. I, I think for our children, we say, man, it's horrible what my children are going through. Are you, and I, this isn't this like guilt on you or whatever, but it's just to say, well, how earnest are you in prayer? By praying years ago, man, this is just, just, they're so stupid. Not only are you not praying for them, you're also cursing them down the road. <laughs> Good for you. pray blessings. I think we can grab hold of God with earnestness and like a Epaphras and pray hard for people again. And if you're praying hard, don't use this as a guilt, but I think we've got to get energized again and, and get dare I say emotional. Do you remember when Samuel's mom uh, was, was, was praying? She, when she would pray, she would go into the temple and she was so involved with it that the priest thought she was drunk. And he said, woman, what are you, you can't come into a temple drunk. She goes, I haven't been drinking, I haven't been interceding. And because all he could see was her lips were moving, just, you know, just stammering and crying. I, I don't 
think we're desperate enough. I think we think money will fix things. I think we think we can manage it. And so we don't struggle. So we just learn to adapt. Well, I want to challenge the generation today that you don't have to adapt. And you don't have to get comfortable with your circumstances. You can learn to, to hate them. Jacob got to the point where he hated his circumstances and what he had done for himself and what he had did. And he wanted to get a hold of God and an angle of God that was completely different. Next thing I want us to talk about was this. Learn to get up again. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many today have failed at some point in your life? Learning to get up again is the hardest part. And I think the most beautiful prayer in Scripture when it comes to learning to get up again is Psalm 51. If you want to turn in your Bibles there. It's the prayer of David. And I think one of the things that we need to do is seeking God and repentance. We see throughout the Old and New Testament this idea of repentance, coming back to God. It's not a covering up of our stuff. It's not dealing with what we call problems or situations. We call it what it is, and it's called sin. And we deal with repentance and the hard issues of our life. And if we've strayed away from God and we don't have an earnestness in our heart and we're not praying and we're not after going after God, then we can't lie to ourselves anymore. We can't blame people anymore. We have to take responsibility for what it is. The Psalm 51 goes all the way back to David when he had killed Bathsheba's husband Uriah, sent him to the front lines. He got Bathsheba pregnant. He had a lot of problems. And now he gets called out by the prophet. And here is where we see David pick up. And Nate, if you wanted to come up here, and if you would read Psalm 51 for me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my, from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time from my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost, innermost places. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me, or restore to me, the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach my transgressors. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood, blood guilt, O God, and the God who saved me. And my tongue will sing, sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in, in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. Amen. So we see David here now is caught in sin. And as opposed to covering it up or making an excuse for it, David declared something. He said, I was born a sinner. You know, the Bible, that, that's one thing, the depravity of man that I want to teach today that really doesn't go in church anymore and even in life, and it doesn't sound well, that all of us were born into trespasses and sins. And every one of us needs salvation 
from our sins. And the only thing that can offer that is the grace that was shed through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And David says this. He says, I have sinned against no one but you, God. It's amazing how he said that. He personalized it because, you know, how many know if you offend someone, that's great. But not only did that sin offend that person, but you also offended and, and broke your relationship with Christ when you did that. So it's not just enough for us to go to that person and say, hey, sorry I did that. We need to go into our quiet place with God and say, God, forgive me for dot, dot, dot. Take care of this issue. And I think the cleanup, you know, the Bible says this for us in the New Testament. This is an Old Testament stuff. For us to confess our sins one to another. You were never meant, man of God, to keep it all inside. You were never meant to carry the load yourself. God wants you to understand the healing power of Christ to restore you and to bring change into your heart. But as you take responsibility for who you are, you say, God, this is on me. This was my decision. This was my choice. Please forgive me, God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me what I had with you, the, the passion and the love and the devotion. Folks, I challenge you today, even if it's a small sin, a little sin, always be quick to say, God, forgive me for that. Amen. How many of you know, and if we're all this way in relationships and stuff, and you're in an argument with your spouse or your kids or whatever, and you're wrong, but you feel like they're more wrong. Has anybody ever been there before? <laughs> How, isn't it so hard? And it's pride, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't pride so ugly? You know, pride is what caused the very first sin in the Bible, in Genesis. It was pride. It was arrogance. Folks, I can tell you it's free. Once you learn to practice it, once you learn to say it, don't just say in your heart, well, I have good intentions. Go to that person. Go to God and say, God, forgive me for what I said there. Forgive me for my attitude. You know, God's the one that judges the intentions of our heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks... Psalm 51 is a beautiful thing for us to go back to. And I've gone back to it many times. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation that I've lost. Restore to me, God, the passion that I used to have reading your word. God, restore to me, Lord Jesus, the passion that I wanted to worship you. God, forgive me, for there hasn't been many tears coming from my eyes. I don't feel it anymore. Learn to get up again. Turn to someone who say, it's time to get up again. One of the hardest things is to get up. We all know that in the morning and you get up and all your knees and ankles and everything are knocking. And you're like, I'm not even getting up. It's not worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is worth it. It is worth it. You have another opportunity. You have another day. You have another sunrise. Everything. God did it all for you. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's not the end, by the way. And one of the things that the enemy will lie to you when you fail is to say it's the end. It's not the end. Amen. What we're going to have to do is give our junk to God once again. I preached that before about how he says, commit your ways to the Lord, or commit the things of your life to the Lord, and commit really is like a donkey dumping off the load off the shoulders, and it's so freeing. And once David realized that, and he prayed that prayer, and he understood that he wasn't going to have his son anymore, they didn't even want to go talk to him in the room. He had fasted. He was a mess. And he said, boy, do we want to tell him? And, he, and when he came in to tell him the news, they told him, and David said, that's God. So be it. And he got up, and he went and ate. And he understood that the freedom he had in Christ, that he could trust God's judgment, he could trust God's will, and he can get back into right relationship with God. Men, I challenge you to get back into relationship with Christ because once you get back into relationship with Christ, it will affect all your other relationships. But your relationship with God comes first. Not anything else. God loves you so much, by the way. I want to give you this beautiful promise that He is not going to forgive you. He is already forgiven you. He's already. He's already accounted for it. He's already accounted for your past. He's already accounted for your presence. And he has always seen you all the way down the road into the future. And every step of the way, he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. God loves you so much and he's already forgiven you. You say, no way, I've gone too far. 
One promise I want you to, want you to latch on to, maybe do it in your prayer life, is Isaiah 42, 16. God declared, I make the crooked places straight. So our crooked lives, you mean to tell me all the angles and all the different areas I went to? God will restore those, absolutely. God will go into those paths, and he'll make what was crooked, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn to good. He'll make the crooked places straight. I don't know how he's going to do it, and it takes time. It's not like David, when he went through this whole process, everything's fine and hunky-dory. He had the politics of the situation. He had the problems with relationships with the people. All the stuff that went on with it. But since he was restored to God, God was able to help him get through it and manage those things. Each day is a new day. Next thing is, each day is a new day for you. Get up and learn to be a mountain climber. Mike, this is where you're going to come in in a second. Moses was a mountain climber. Do you know I was reading some statistics right now, and Mount Everest right now is a big issue. They have like lines of people literally waiting to get up there. And what's happening is I, I was like, why? I always want to know why. Like, what's, I mean, I, there's this big rash of you know, mountain climbers, and there is. But what's happening is the government is not regulating how many mountain climbers are to get up there. So they're just selling these passes and the guys are coming up there, and it's literally when you're at that kind of oxygen level, that waiting period is literally death or life for these guys. And one experienced climber who had, his goal was to climb every major mountain range in the world, the highest summits, he had died, and he actually said, kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, he said, I'm going to die waiting in life for this. And he did. But, but Moses was a mountain climber, and he understood the place to find God was at the peaks of those mountains and those places, that he had to get away from all the, all the crowds and all the people. And when, um, in fact, it got to the point with God, because they, weren't, they were scared, they didn't know God, and Mo, they said, Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what he has, and we'll wait down here. We don't want anything to do with it. So Moses goes up there and takes a huge risk. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, let's turn there. And we're going to read a beautiful story of a man of God. We're going to read Exodus 33:12 through 18. Mike, are you ready? Come on up. You got to It's uh, Exodus 33, 12 through 18. One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You've told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you the rest. And I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? Your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. Amen. What a big prayer. Show me your glory. What a huge request. This wasn't about him wanting to see some fireworks. He wanted to know God experientially and very personally and very deeply. He said, show me your glory. God, I, I want to know everything about you. For us men today, guys, don't, don't be so impassioned and get all jazzed about memorizing another doctrine of scripture. Don't get all jazzed about memorizing another Bible verse or attending another conference. Don't get, don't get excited about that stuff. You know what I want you to get excited about? Going, Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you personally. Moses was a mountain climber and he wanted to see God. 
It's a huge prayer. God, show me your glory. Show me your life. Bring your life down to me. God, I want to know you experientially. God, I want to have you for myself, no one else. The word climb there literally means to ascend and to rise. The Hebrew word is actually Allah, which is spelled A-L-A-H, can mean to bring up or offer when referring to sacrifices. Do you know we, the Bible says we offer to God sacrifices of praise when we go into the presence of God or when we go into our prayer closet and when we get away, when we get up in the morning, do you know there are some places where we can do some mountain climbing there, can't we guys? We can get up in the morning and we can kind of say, God, you know, one thing that I started picking up again personally for my life and it's helped me kind of formulate my thoughts. How many thoughts go all over the map all the time? Do you know what? Your prayer life, getting it really condensed down and simplifying. Don't over, don't, don't make it difficult. Make it simple. Do you know, I'll get up in the morning and I'll just start to read and I'll actually start to write down different prayers. And it's funny when I go back through the journal and I'll say, Man, this day was just simply, God, I love you and thank you for everything you're doing in my life. That wasn't too deep, was it? But it is very deep. I was thanking God for the life that he gave me. Some days it's praying specifically for different things going on, whether it be with me personally or with my family, whatever it is. But it's knowing God. It's not knowing about God. I don't want to know about God. I don't want to know more stories about guys who had great experience with God. I want to be the guy with the experience with God. Can I get an amen? Instead of reading historical documents, well, they did this, and how did this happen, and how did the waters gel together? Does it really matter? Well, that's neat. Well, I want to experience God. I want to touch Him. I want to be around Him. I want to be... Near him, I want to know that he said something to me, even if it's just one word. I want to be in a position today where when I go wherever I'm going to go, I don't feel empty, but I feel filled with the Holy Spirit that I can pray in the Spirit and I could pray with understanding and I could know God. Moses was a mountain climber. And you, man and woman of God today, You can become a mountain climber if you want. Don't forget to bring the sacrifice with you. And the Bible calls us living sacrifices. Maybe you sacrifice yourself today. You say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to die to myself with this thing. I'm going to give that thing up, whatever it is, so that I can know your presence. But it is not simply just reading about God. It's praying a prayer like Moses that says, Lord, show me your glory. Jesus is the great guide, by the way, and he'll show you how to climb those mountains. He's not going to be like the, the, the nations that are selling these passes to get up to Mount Everest. God's going to guide you along the beautiful path. In fact, Psalm 32.8 says, I will guide you along the best uh, path for your life. Amen. You know the great thing about Jesus being our guide is he might take us through thick areas of our life. He might take us through thin. There might be easy, fun times. Aren't the easy, fun times so great? But isn't it so much greater when you're going through really tough circumstances and you realize that God is taking you through those and you go, wait a minute, I, did, I thought that was the worst path, but God, you're right here along with me and you're showing your miraculous power in the middle of that. Next thing for all of us men, for everyone in here, is learning to unplug. How many got too much stuff plugged into your life? We are multitasker generations, and you know what I'm going to start talking about. Rod Dreyer writes in the Benedict Option, For over a decade, my friend Andrew Sullivan was one of the most prolific and influential bloggers on the Internet. Then one day in 2015, at the height of his fame and success, he suddenly dropped out and fell below the radar. A few months later, we both happened to be in Boston, and Andrew and I met for coffee. I could hardly believe how good he looked. He was fit and glowing and had a startling sense of serenity about him. Andrew told me this was the fruit of getting off the Internet. A year later, in a New York Magazine essay, Andrew explained his dramatic epiphany. Every minute I was engrossed in virtual interaction, I was not involved in a human encounter. Every second absorbed in some trivia was a second less in any form of reflection or calm or spirituality. Multitasking was a mirage. This was a zero-sum question. I either lived as a voice online, or I lived as a human being in a world that humans had lived in since the beginning of time. Amen. 
question here, by the way, this point, isn't so much about a particular prayer. It is about a lifestyle habit that we're to make. And guys, I want to tell you today that the technology and the things that you get into, you can kind of like live online. You can go to church online now. You can, hey, I went to church. I'm like, well, where did you go to church? And they're like, yeah, I just watched church service over in uh, Bermuda somewhere. I don't know. Me and my sister were talking. But that's not church. Sorry. That's not the church of the Bible. Now, that was great. You got to log in and see on a big screen and see all the fog machines and stuff. But that's not intertwining with the body of Christ, is it? That's not human interaction. That's not struggling with people and lifting people up and allowing your gifts to be a part of the body of Christ. That's a TV. We have gotten so disillusioned in 2019 in America where we don't even know how to define and quality define what church even is anymore. With our technology unplugging, it's understanding a place in our life where we go, man, am I just completely overwhelmed with all this technology stuff? Do I need to unplug? Do I need to get away from it? I don't know if it's TV. I don't know if it's your social media. I don't know if it's gaming. I don't know what it is, but I know there's a lot of adults that are way past their 30s in the basement of their parents' home learning to build another city on some sims somewhere. And they're not part of human interaction. Can you imagine your grandpa doing that? You were all supposed to laugh at that part. He said every minute, he goes on to write, Andrew explained his dramatic epiphany. Every minute I was engrossed in a virtual interaction, I was not involved in a human encounter. Every second absorbed in some trivia was a second less from any form of reflection or calm or spirituality. Multitasking was a mirage. This was a zero-sum question. I either lived as a voice online or I lived as a human being in a world that humans had lived in since the beginning of time. Folks, you're not going to avoid technology. Technology is part of life. That's not my point. I am not telling you to unplug all your wires and go live in a mountain or a cave somewhere. But I am telling you that it's, it's gone too mad now, hasn't it? It's gone too far. We've gotten to the point where we almost even don't even need human interaction anymore. We can still exist in life. Man, guys, I challenge you to develop that lifestyle where you unplug. And maybe you unplug by doing this, man. Go out and talk to the Lord. Go fishing. Go for a walk. Do something other than being on an electronic device. You don't always need to take your phone with you. It's funny, like when we go on bike rides and stuff, I almost pause or whatever. I'm like, I don't have my phone with me. I'm like... What did I do when I was a kid without a phone? Going around, I was gone all day long without a phone. Jesus, by the way, the greatest example, had the busiest life, the busiest three and a half years you could ever compress in a human being, with the most stress. We always talk about stress. I'm just so stressed out. I need to unplug. So you unplug by getting more stressed about with all your feeds going on in your phone. Brilliant. Jesus unplugged. And the Bible says that he got away. And he would go off into the wilderness. And he would, he would leave unannounced. And the disciples would even look for him. And Jesus would be off over here. And he would be seeking the Father. Because he understood where his power source was from. And folks, I'm telling you, your power source is not in the apps. It's not in the blogging. It's not in YouTube. It's not in all the other stuff. Your power source is communing with Jesus Christ. Your power source is developing a lifestyle of prayer where you can go around and walk around life and not be fidgeting all day long. Remember the fidget spinners came out? Those were awesome. You just spin them around and you just just spin and you... That's me. I mean, I'm always doing this and, you know, Ann's laughing when I'm in the car. My foot's always moving and, you know, when I'm talking on the phone in the van, Ann's like, Steve, you're going to have to get off the phone because it's like, vroom, vroom. And like, with every point I'm making on the phone, the gas pedal's going out. Kids are all getting sick. Like, yeah, what are you doing? So we're fidgeting now on our phones. We can't live without it. We're fidgeting now in our social medias. We're crazy about it. You got to unplug. Turn to someone and say, "Have you unplugged yet?" 
Jesus often would go off into the wilderness. Steve Farrer writes, Prayer is the escape vehicle that lets you decompress from the pressures of life. It provides oxygen for the soul. Without it, you will eventually succumb and overload will claim another victim. If you are not unplugging from things in your life on a regular basis, you will become another victim of overloading your life. A prayerless person, he goes on to write, is like someone who eats and sleeps but forgets to breathe. He is a person who does not walk with God. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. Learn that you're not going to have everything your way, by the way, as you're unplugging and realizing through life and the struggles that when you pray. A.W. Tozer said, The hard part of prayer is gaining yourself into a state of mind in which you prefer the will of God over your own. Isn't that crazy? You know, we think prayer is like that little magic sauce that God will listen to me, and if I pray three times hard enough, God will finally answer me. That's not prayer. Do you know the whole point of prayer is actually to change you? And when we pray, we learn to identify the will of God and dealing with the struggles that, you know what, guys, I want us to learn another thing, because this is where we learn to grow up really quick and mature and, and get into the things of God. Learn in life that not everything is going to go your way. And how many times in life do we kind of have that that spoiled mindset, that spoiled kid mindset that every life's about me and I know we have good messages that tell you that, that life's all about you and your comfort and making sure that you're happy you will not hear those messages at turning point what I will tell you is you're going to have some really hard prayers that you're going to have to learn to pray for your life and understand the will of God is much bigger than your little galaxy of happiness and this is where my dad comes in come on up here dad let's give it up for Father Dan Funny at work, my dad's a priest. We'll introduce each other, and I go, "This is my father, Father Dan." No. So you're going to read a very difficult portion of scripture. Let me get to it. I called you up early. Luke 22:42. Just a second here. All right, starting with verse one, and then read through verse 42, 41 and 42. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. That's a pretty tough one, isn't it? Lord, if it's your will, take this away. I don't want to go through this. I don't have to go through this. Without raising your hands, how many of us have gone through some suffering you didn't want to go through, but God got you through it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, I think is the most beautiful prayer in the world. And that pain and suffering, to the point where Jesus prayed, the Bible says that he was sweating drops of blood. He was in so much constraint with that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 you say, what do I do with all my problems? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an answer to fix all your problems, but I do know how, you're, how you can position yourself before the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had experienced a problem. He had a thorn in his side. And we kind of, different Parts of faith try to wrap this up, and this is not to say that every little problem that comes your way is from the Lord. Don't ever hear that in my spirit, or me say that. But I want you to know that the Lord, He is sovereign, He takes care of all of our problems, doesn't He? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 through 10 says, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Folks, it's an amazing part when you learn and understand you're not always going to get your way. And as you mature in your faith in Christ, you'll realize that God's not a vending machine. You'll realize that He's God the Father. He is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He knows the end before the beginning. And I thank for, for all of us. He talks to the one uh, gentle... Gosh, I forget his name. Job. Sorry. He talks to Job, and Job's got all these complaints and stuff. And God's only answer for him wasn't to tell him to fix all of his problems and do all this. God says to Job, Job, where were you when I... Order the universe. Job, where were you when I hung the earth and it hangs on nothing? Where were you? You don't know everything. And see, the thing of it is, once we adapt to God, and when we change, and when we metamorphosize, and when we change more and more into His image, and come according to His will, we start praying more according to His will, and not according to our own. And we look at the patterns of life and our prayer life and we look, God, I want to see the bigger picture. I just don't want the comfortable, climate-controlled zone of my life. God, I want to take you and have you use me in my life. It's a hard prayer to pray, not my will, but yours be done, isn't it? Because you take all the willpower and all the know-how and all the knowledge. How many of you know you're really smart? All the knowing, all the future of, of the not knowing, and you say, God, I trust you with your plan for my life. Amen. One gentleman who did this really well, Steve Farrer writes about John Bunyan. He understood the true purpose of prayer. Bunyan was in prison for most of his adult life. He could have walked free by agreeing not to preach the gospel, but he refused. So his family subsisted in poverty while he languished in prison. Pilgrim's Progress, written during those years of imprisonment, is the number two best-selling book in history, first, of course, the Bible. Bunyan said, if we do not have quiet in our minds, outward comfort will do no more for us than a golden slipper on a gouty foot. John Bunyan said, the best prayers have often more groans than words. As you pray today, understand that you're not trying to manipulate God. Here's how you pray. You rest in knowing that you have a relationship with him and that you can trust him as your daddy, as Abba, as father for your life. We have one more verse of scripture that I wanted us to share. And Mr. Jim Shank, if you could come up here and read. This is a beautiful scripture resting in his plan. Do you got that on your thing? Okay. Colossians 1. Beginning with verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. That was Paul's prayer. What a big prayer. <laughs> and God's qual God has qualified you. Um, I wanted to start with something for all the men here. <clears throat> um, all of our staff in place here today. I've got this isn't this a evil packaging here? This is a zip-lock bag. You can tell us the guy's name. It's like, what do you want to put on him? Just give me a zip-lock. <laughs> so, I found this online. Me and, me and uh, Nate were talking the other day. I found this on Pinterest, actually. <laughs> I know, I'm pinning. No, this, but my, my, they have a, a Pinterest thing here, and it's uh, a domino, and it's called, It All Starts With Me. And so, men, in your house today, I want to give you kind of a charge that it all starts with you. It doesn't start with the other people fixing their problems. It doesn't start when your circumstances somehow take a left turn and abruptly now you're in a utopia. 
It starts with you. And I think of this domino here, and you watch maybe online, or remember they have these people set up these big, huge domino displays, and it just takes the one domino to create a whole effect. You know, we've heard this seven times, the butterfly effect, how a butterfly, when it does its wings, that, that sound wave ripples through. And it's the same way the pebble hitting water. I want all of our, our, our men to stand up today, if you will. You can do that now. And uh, I'm going to hand these dominoes to you, understanding that it all starts with you. And, and right now, if you're praying along and God's leading and guiding you, great. But do this. When you grab this today, I want you to understand that you're responsible for your home. Amen. And you're the leader of your home. And, and as God leads you, maybe you get into a habit now, and it might feel uncomfortable at first, but maybe where you maybe start praying with your wife. And you have beautiful stories of men of faith in here who literally every day pray with their wives. What a beautiful time to start, right? Yeah. Yeah. To start now. So I'm going to hand each of these to you. It's got, thank God for my wife's handwriting. It says, Father's Day 2019. Maybe keep this with you. Maybe put it on your desk at work. Put it somewhere where you remember that... It starts with you, and it's not a male chauvinistic idea. It's an understanding that God called you in Scripture to be the leader of your home, Amen. to lead and to guide your family, Amen. and it all starts with you. And I want us to pray this morning for all of us. I want to pray a blessing over all you guys here. You've got your dominoes in your hand. Lord, I just pray right now for all the men in this church, young and old. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that you've given to them and the homes that they have, the families that they are surrounded by, the children that they're impacting. And Lord, I thank you today that you've given us this great call, this great commission. It does all start with us as the leaders of our homes. Lord, I pray that our homes will become a place that is a place of safety and refuge. I pray that our homes would be lighted up again with flames of prayer. I pray, Lord, that these men of faith, Lord, would learn to pray with fervency and earnestly. Lord, I pray and thank you, Lord Jesus, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does avail much. And Lord, sometimes the prayers aren't long. Sometimes it's just simply a groan because we don't understand. Sometimes they're prayers, Father, that there might be questions. Lord, what do I do with this? Those are the deepest prayers. And today I want each one of them to know, Father, that you love them and that you cherish them. And that you cherish the prayers from their hearts. God, maybe each one of them prays different prayers. Maybe with the spirit of Moses, who says, Lord, show me your glory. Maybe this week, God, you unearth some things deep from the past. And we go to Psalm 51. And we say, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned against you. Lord, maybe they're the prayers like a Epaphras who prays hard for the people at their church. Maybe it's the dad who stands in the gap because no one else believes in his children but him. Lord, I thank you for the domino effect. That when that domino gets knocked over, it sends a ripple throughout. And we pray and thank you, God, that as we prophesy and as we proclaim your promises, 
beautiful and bright future, all the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And Lord, I pray, God, that every one of us men would adopt your ways and pray like you pray. Getting away, unplugging, doing all the things necessary, God, to hear from you. Lord, I pray this blessing over each one of them. I thank you for this church family. And I pray and thank you, God, that you're raising men of faith up. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Happy Father's Day. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Start a domino effect. Amen.